Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. It's very important to have the right kind of luggage or bag when you're traveling, so definitely check out DB. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. DB. It's time to move on. Time to get going. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Professional wrestling fans, this is the show for you because we've got another pro wrestling based episode on the way today with me, your host, Josh McKinney, sports editor of the Hickory Daily Record in North Carolina. We'll start things off with a podcast shout-out as I shine a little light on a wrestling podcast that I recently came across. After that, this day in wrestling history, which we haven't done in a while. And then I'm very excited for you to hear the interview I had this past Sunday with an old friend, still a great friend of mine, and a former co-worker, Zach Colburn. He'll join me for Talking Smack with J-Mac. We talk AEW. We talk WWE, particularly SummerSlam, which is coming up this Saturday on pay-per-view. And then Zach sticks around with me for Ranky Panky as we count down our top five finishing moves in the WWE right now. Let's get straight to it right now with that podcast shout-out. So for today's podcast shout-out, I would like to spotlight that 90s wrestling podcast It's hosted by James Tunstall, and basically, some of the episodes, James takes a look back at wrestling pay-per-views and shows from the 90s, kind of the glory days, as he calls it, of professional wrestling. Looks back at some of those old shows and reviews them. Also, has a lot of great interviews with wrestlers from the past, from the present, and wrestlers who are possibly the future of the business. He had a recent interview with Rene Dupree, which I believe actually led to a new podcast he's going to start weekly with Rene Dupree. They'll co-host, and interviews come out every Friday for this, uh, along with those reviews that he does regularly. But Rachel Ellering, current Impact Wrestling Knockout, was on. Chuck Palumbo was on recently. Diamond Dallas Page. Cody Diener, who's also in Impact. The Godfather, Eric Bischoff. Tyson Kidd. Vince Russo was on there. I mean, just a lot of great interviews he's got for you to go listen to. Again, that's That 90s Wrestling Podcast. James Tunstall does a great job with that. I'm going to have to listen to some more of those episodes myself. I've got the link in the description, as always, for this. Keep up the great work, James. Check it out if you're a pro wrestling fan, because it's uh, quality entertainment. And in addition to being available on all your major podcasting platforms, also on YouTube, he's got video versions of this podcast where you can see him actually and the person he's interviewing on there. So that's a neat thing as well. Like I said, That 90s Wrestling Podcast, go check it out now. 
That's going to do it for Podcast Shoutout. Now it's time for this day in wrestling history. We begin this week's installment of This Day in Wrestling History on August 18, 1959, when former professional wrestler Dr. Tom Pritchard was born in El Paso, Texas. 62 years old today, the older brother of current WWE Senior Vice President Bruce Pritchard wrestled for several different promotions, including the Continental Championship Wrestling slash Continental Wrestling Federation, the United States Wrestling Federation, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and the World Wrestling Federation. Tom Pritchard is also a longtime wrestling trainer who trained the likes of Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, The Rock, Dolph Ziggler, Edge, Mark Henry, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley, and many others. Pritchard also won numerous singles and tag team championships as an active competitor, with his final match coming at a Runcorn Wrestling Academy show in 2017, where he took part in an eight-man tag team match. Currently, Pritchard is the head trainer for Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy in Knoxville, Tennessee, a wrestling school founded by he and Glenn Jacobs, better known as Kane. We move next to August 18, 1993, when World Championship Wrestling put on a special event called Clash of Champions 24 from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. 8,903 people attended the show, which is most remembered as the one where the Shockmaster made his infamous debut as the mystery partner of Sting, Dusty Rhodes, and Davey Boy Smith for an upcoming eight-man War Games match against Sid Vicious, Big Van Vader, Kane, and Cole. Now, Kane and Cole were Stevie Ray and Booker T's ring names at the time. And uh, that War Games match was set to take place at the September 1993 Fall Brawl pay-per-view, which was the inaugural iteration of said event. Played by Fred Ottman, the Shockmaster burst through a backstage wall and immediately fell over during Clash of Champions, losing his mask while his teammates broke character and laughed. In addition to what is usually regarded as the worst debut in professional wrestling history, Clash of Champions also featured the following matches. The Four Horsemen's Arn Anderson and Paul Roma defeating Lord Steven Regal and Steve Austin to win the NWA slash WCW Unified World Tag Team Championships. Two Cold Scorpio defeating Bobby Eaton, Johnny B. Bad defeating Max Payne, Ricky Steamboat defeating Paul Orndorff to win the WCW World Television title, Ric Flair and Sting winning a tag team match against the Colossal Kongs, Awesome Kong and King Kong, Dustin Rhodes and the Road Warrior Hawk beating Rick Rude and the Equalizer in a tag team match, and in the main event, Big Van Vader retaining the WCW World Heavyweight Championship against Davey Boy Smith in a match where the title could have changed hands via a disqualification. Next up, we move to August 18, 2013, when World Wrestling Entertainment presented the 26th annual SummerSlam pay-per-view from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. The event was attended by 17,739 fans and included the main event of Daniel Bryan defeating John Cena to win the WWE Championship with Triple H as a special referee. However, after the match, Triple H hit Bryan with his finishing move, the pedigree, as Randy Orton made his way into the ring with his Money in the Bank briefcase, which he cashed in before pinning Bryan in 8 seconds to win the title. 
Other matches at the 2013 SummerSlam event included Bray Wyatt defeating Kane in a Ring of Fire match, Cody Rhodes beating former tag team partner Damian Sandow, Alberto Del Rio defeating Christian by submission in a World Heavyweight Championship match, Natalya beating Brie Bella by submission, Brock Lesnar beating CM Punk in a no disqualification match, and Dolph Ziggler and Caitlin defeating Big E Langston and AJ Lee in a mixed tag team match. The final event we'll talk about took place on August 18, 2018, when NXT held TakeOver Brooklyn 4, a WWE Network event that was attended by 14,676 fans at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. The main event saw Tommaso Ciampa defeat former tag team partner turned bitter rival Johnny Gargano to retain the NXT Championship in a last man standing match. Other matches on the main show included the Undisputed Era's Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong successfully defending the NXT Tag Team Championships against Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. Velveteen Dream defeating EC3, Ricochet beating Adam Cole to win the NXT North American Championship, and Kyrie Sane defeating Shayna Baszler to win the NXT Women's Championship. That's going to do it for this day in wrestling history. Now, excited to bring you the interview I had with a good friend of mine, Zach Colburn, fellow professional wrestling fan, this past Sunday. He's going to stick around for the remainder of the show. Coming up right now, he joins me for Talking Smack with J-Mac. All right, I am now delighted to be joined by a uh, former colleague I worked with at the Wilkes Journal Patriots several years ago in sports and has remained a good friend of mine. Uh, Zach Colburn joins me now here for uh, Talking Smack with J-Mac. Uh, Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Josh. I hope you're doing well. I am. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we came on, just reminiscing and, and talking about some local high school sports. But for this uh, segment today, we're really going to be honing in on professional wrestling. Zach, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, just give the listener an idea of how you got interested in pro wrestling and when that came about. Well, honestly, I feel like it kind of came in a couple of different phases. The first one came probably back in the late 90s and surprisingly came because of a video game, actually. It was a WCW NWO World Tour, which at the time, we just come up for a Nintendo 64, and I didn't want to know who a whole lot of these guys were, but I enjoyed playing it. I think I enjoyed playing mostly with Sting. He was my favorite. And then really, about two years later, I finally got my first taste of wrestling on TV. It was uh, it was a Thursday night SmackDown. I was watching over at my friend's house, who was a, at the time a, a huge wrestling fan, and it was the uh, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, uh, Test tri- Love Triangle. And really, I mean, I was like, okay, what, what's this whole pro wrestling thing about? And really, I followed it little by little over the next few years, but it didn't really hit with me until I got to college and I met one of my best friends, Brody, who was a, he was a high school wrestler. His dad was wrestled in college and he got us into a lot of pro wrestling because he would want to come over and watch Monday Night Raw every week on my uh, TV because I was one of the only guys in our dorm that had a TV and cable. And then we also would play a uh, play in our video game. It was um, WWE SmackDown's Here Comes the Pain with Brock Lesnar in the front. And a lot of these names, I mean, I had heard them over the years, you know, Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. But there was one wrestler that kind of drew, drew my attention. 
and it was uh, surprisingly it was John Cena, and it was just you know he came out. It was his entrance music. He didn't talk because at the time video games was with PlayStation Two, so it wasn't really that big on all the graphics yet. But just he comes out in his throwback jersey, and I'm like, who is this guy? So and right around that time, YouTube was just starting up. And slowly by a little bit, they had a few little uh, videos of him doing some rapping and it kind of, and I was like, okay, this is different. It's not what I usually would watch on Thursday nights, but then somehow I just kind of got into it and I've met some of my best friends through pro wrestling. Gives us something to talk about over the weeks. Give us something to talk about even when we don't watch on the weeks on hand. Kind of takes me back to some of those old school wrestling video games I played as a kid recent years i played a few of the games and just i just can't get into them anymore i end up trading them in or something it seems like not long after i've bought a couple in recent years i feel like they've made things a little bit too uh difficult almost too advanced <laughs> in some ways whereas some of the old school games like you mentioned some from nintendo 64 are, are some of the best games and that here comes the pain is really one of the best uh, smackdown games they ever did absolutely and i and that's one of the games surprisingly i've Occasionally, I'll pull up my old PS2 and still play it. Still have memory card and everything. And I still have my old N64 occasionally go back and play that. But I definitely agree with you on the, the new video games. I mean, I feel like they put a lot of time and energy into making into the graphics and the characters. But the controls can tend to be a little tricky. And just, I liked it back when it was simple. If they would bring back the SmackDown Here Comes to Pain, like the, TH, like the THQ versions of the game, but add like new rosters, I feel like it would be a lot more popular. Yeah. Uh, did you ever play uh, WWF No Mercy? Uh, yes, I did. I actually I found that used a number of years ago. It was at an old video game store in Boone called Game Father. And I played it and I was like, <laughs> and it was pretty cool. You, you could play as the wrestlers, you could play as the commentators, you could play as Michael Cole even. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, one of my uh, most fun wrestling games I played growing up. Uh, I had a great story mode as well. That, that's something that's really lacked in recent years. I know the last time I tried to play a story mode with a recent game was, uh, I don't remember if it was the one with Becky Lynch and Roman Reigns on the front, I believe. That I believe, I think that was 2K20, I believe. Sounds right. But uh, I played that one and uh, just didn't like the story mode. It was like it wouldn't let you move on unless you win. I like it where, you know, there's different scenarios for wins and losses. But, oh, well, I know they took a year off and uh, hopefully they, the game's better when it comes back. Well, you would hope so with, you know, them taking this time off. Hopefully they've gotten some feedback on what they can do better and what, what people liked. I always liked it when you could create a wrestler because that was always a fun part. Who, I mean, who wouldn't want to win WWE Championship? Who wouldn't want to be in a Money Bank ladder match? And plus, they've got more competition coming. AEW is going to have a game coming out eventually. And I'm sure that they've got some uh, real big video game nerds in that company. So uh, I know they're going to have their opinions taken for that game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know Kenny Omega, he's a big video game fan. And I feel like you know, pro wrestling and video games kind of go hand in hand because because you feel like you're going to like a couple different demographics there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I had you on. We're going to talk about a little bit WWE SummerSlam later. But, but first of all, I just want to kind of talk about because I know you watch AEW, some WWE. I know you followed NXT, but what promotions and shows do you, you watch right now? Uh, right now, most of what I've watched, you know, like you said, you know, 
NXT is the big one I watch on Tuesday nights. And it's been nice having them on Tuesday nights and then AEW on Wednesday nights having Dynamite because you always felt like you had to choose back when they were going versus each other. But now that they're on different nights, you get more wrestling during the week. And with them just debuting Rampage a couple nights ago, that's been another thing. And it's a one hour show. So it's kind of like what TNA Impact used to be back when it first came out. I used to watch Impact a lot when it was on Tuesday nights when I was home during the summer. But unfortunately, I don't have the channel anymore. So I'll just watch the highlights on YouTube. And I've watched a lot of W. I watch some WWE now. I don't watch as much as I used to just because I just don't have the time. But, you know, with Raw being three hours, I mean, it's kind of hard to dedicate three hours to a show when, you know, you have a, you have a couple of options you can watch them on now. And SmackDown's kind of the same way. I mean, SmackDown, with them, you know, going to Friday nights, that was, it's kind of been their niche over the years. They've always changed channel, changed nights, I mean, or changed channels. I mean, first it started on Thursday, then it went to Friday, then it was Tuesday, then it was back to Thursday, now Friday. If they can find a place where they can be, you know, in a consistent spot, I mean, they'll be a big thing to watch on Friday nights. But of course, you know, you and I both with doing football games, you know, we always have to usually watch the next, next day, usually. Yep. It's usually a, a Saturday afternoon smackdown for me. But uh, you talk about Raw, it definitely is a chore to get through a three-hour show. Some weeks feels like twice that long, I think, because it's just, uh, there's so much. I really don't like the uh, going to three hours. I think two hours is perfect for a wrestling show. I mean, I can see a super show every once in a while, maybe where you have both brands come together and you have like a three hour show. But for that reason, SmackDown to me stands out right now over Raw as being the better show of those two main roster shows. I mean, there there are workers I like on Raw. There's some things that I like. I like the Riddle and Randy Orton with RK Bro. That stuff has been great. I like AJ and Omos, but there's just a lot that I, I really don't enjoy on Raw right now. Yeah, and you know, W and you know, Monday Night Raw is coming out of the pandemic, coming out of that whole, you know, Thunderdome, you know, back to live fans. You'd hope going back to live fans would help liven up something, but I feel like they really need to have a really good SummerSlam and then have a great Monday Night Raw coming out of SummerSlam because you need something big to happen. Like whether it be you saw a couple weeks ago Nikki ASH cashing in money in the bank to win the women's championship. You almost want to see what Big E does. I mean, you think, is he cashing the briefcase on Lashley? Or does somehow some crazy angle Baron Corbin somehow somehow manage to keep the keep the briefcase for some weird reason? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I definitely uh, hope Big E gets his shot. I think, I think he will eventually cash in on Lashley. I've heard the rumors of him moving back to Raw there with his uh, New Day brethren, uh, still hopefully remaining a, a singles guy. I think that's his future, and I think he's got a lot of potential and to be a big star. Uh, plus, he's a great guy, so uh, I would love to see that. And he's very well-liked backstage, uh, so I hope he gets that chance. I will say, though, you mentioned the Baron Corbin stuff. This is the most interesting he's been in quite some time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about it. I mean, when he won the title, or not the title, but the, the briefcase a couple of years ago, he didn't really, he made his push then, but then he really has it. Then he had the big push when he became Constable Corbin overseeing Raw. And then, you know, comes King Corbin. Now he's kind of just, you know, downtrodden down on his luck, Corbin. And I feel like if he can somehow get over with this gimmick, I mean, who knows what could happen with him. 
Yeah, it's, it's been hilarious, him coming out and uh, begging for money. And uh, I know Kevin Owens gave him some money, and then he got beat up and stolen by Ziggler and Rude. And him coming out with John Cena, you know, talking about Cena being a movie star and trying to beg him for money and, and all that. And then trying to steal that contract to sign for Reigns. Of course, Cena obviously ends up getting that. But uh, I've enjoyed that. You know, I, was a, I was a fan of Baron Corbin when he first came up. I really liked the Lone Wolf character. I thought the uh, the King stuff, I don't know, I, it went on too long. Uh, and now, of course, they've given the crown to Shinsuke to kick off this whole thing. But uh, it's nice to see him doing something different, and uh, I really enjoyed that. But uh, I do want to shift gears a little bit. We'll get back to WWE, uh, but I want to talk about AEW. It's been almost two years now since Dynamite debuted. It will be this October. What have been your thoughts on AEW as a whole during these uh, two years? Well, I mean, with AEW over these, you know, I guess over these first two years, I mean, they came in at such an odd time. I mean, they, you know, when they first came in, they were new, they were fresh. Everybody wanted to see what the new kid in the block could do. Then the pandemic hits. I mean, because and, and it really, I wouldn't say stopped momentum, but kind of halted it a little. But at the same time, the fact that they were able to do do episodes of Dynamite from Daly's place, thanks to Tony Khan and his connections. And basically be able to still keep everyone entertained, not let it get stale, keep it fresh. And then, you know, when they added in the wrestlers around along ringside, it led to some interesting twists and turns. But really, they've done some things that have been different. They've done some things that have been seen before, but they've also put, they've made it unique. They put their own little twist on it, like the stadium stampede match. I mean, I definitely enjoyed the first one, you know, they're at the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium and then you see Hangman coming out on a horse. I mean, that's something you haven't seen before. And then, you know, they go to, they go back to being, having limited fans, having limited fans and be able to put on some great shows. And then, and then of course they go back to live fans a few weeks ago and they've really seen the re-hit their stride again. I mean, I had a chance to go see Dynamite when they were in Charlotte back at the end of July. And let me tell you that the atmosphere in that place was, it was crazy. I mean, it was, it was what a pro wrestling event should be like. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that next, actually. I believe it was the uh, Fight for the Fallen show uh, in Charlotte there. And, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to ask about is on TV, obviously, Hangman Adam Page gets some of the biggest reactions. Uh, What was the reaction like for Hangman Adam Page? It was a really good reaction. Like, just just a dark word, just that vignette beforehand, before they all came out. I mean, they came out first for that match. And it was just such a roar, like a huge roar of the crowd. Then you have the elite squad coming out to the tune squad, the whole tune squad gimmick. And they just got just a sea of booze. And it was just the whole night. Everybody was just it was lively. I mean, there was really no I wouldn't say there was really no low point. I mean, in the evening, I mean, there was some matches that were well received better than others. But and then, of course, you had the matches like, you know, you had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus team up with Christian Cage to take on the Hardy front office and just, you know, everyone singing their singing their song beforehand. And of course, obviously, Chris Jericho's match with Nick Gage, you know, everybody coming out singing Judas, which, you know, you see on TV. But when you're there live, it it takes on a whole nother whole nother uh, whole nother level. And then, of course, you know, that match, you know, you could hear the glass break you could you could see chris jericho getting cut with the pizza cutter and just such a it was it was really exciting just so much fun 
it's amazing. Jericho's been doing this for 30 plus years and uh, still, you know, obviously not what he was in the ring. That's obvious. I mean, he's 50 years old now. He's not going to be, but still has a great wrestling mind, still has so much to offer the business. And I really enjoyed these labors have been different. Obviously, the, he's trying to get that match with MJF, which he now is going to get. But it's been interesting. I think that crowd's going to go crazy seeing Judas this next week, even though they're not going to play it, obviously, but they're going to sing it for him. I know you got to see uh, FTR uh, against uh, Santana and Ortiz. I hate the injury there to uh, Cash Wheeler, I believe it was. What was it like seeing those guys? I really enjoyed it. I had seen FTR a couple years, probably a year, a couple years earlier when they were in WWE as a revival. And of course, every time they come to North Carolina, I mean, they're going to get a reception, whether it's good or bad. Just depends on if you pull for them or not. And then, you know, you got Santana Ortiz. I mean, I've been fans of them since their Impact Wrestling days. And, of course, you know, each of them come out with a manager. You know, FTR come out with Tully Blanchard. You had Santana Ortiz coming out with Conan. Basically two legends in the in the pro wrestling business. And they put on definitely a, a good old-fashioned brawl. And it was, and like I said, it was sad to see what happened with the injury. But it was nice to see some good tag team wrestling. For sure. So while we're mentioning Santana and Ortiz, uh, they, to me, have been some of the most underutilized guys in the company. Uh, I really think they could do so much more with them. Uh, I would like to see them get a nice tag title run. Who are some of the guys in AEW you feel like there should be some more uh, focus on? I feel like there's a lot of guys that could use that. I mean, you know, if you would ask me a year ago, I, you know, I said Adam Hangman, Adam Page. I mean, he's still, I think they're, they're, they're making a nice little slow burn with this feud between him and Kenny Omega, which has definitely benefited both guys. I feel like there's a couple other guys who I feel like have been underutilized. I mean, Sammy Guevara. I feel like they're just starting to scratch the surface with him. I mean, having him in the inner circle with Chris Jericho has been has done wonders for his career. And I was wondering for the longest time when the inner circle was starting to show some cracks, if there was going to be a few between Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho. When MJF kind of joined the fray for a little bit, I thought this is when it's going to happen. And it turned out it didn't. And then, you know, there's a lot of other guys, you know, Britt Baker, she's she's benefited a lot from this. I feel like the women's division, they need, they need a boost. I mean, and with them gaming Jamie Sauter in now, I mean, maybe it helps make Dr. Britt Baker into this monster heel that I feel like the women's division really needs. And then, you know, there's a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head. I mean, there's one, there's many that are fan favorites. You know, Orange Cassidy, he's been a fan favorite. I'd like to see him potentially get a run at the AEW World title or at the uh, TNT Championship being held by Miro, who's definitely looked very good in his few runs. I mean, Darby Allen, he did a great job. And there's another guy, I feel like two guys that need to be utilized a little bit more. And they're both, funny enough, in Team Taz, Showtime Ricky Starks and Brian Cage. I mean, Brian Cage being, I've seen what he could do back when he was world champion at Impact. And, you know, I mean, I feel like with this loss, I think, you know, he needs a good singles run. And what they do with him, I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Ricky Starks. You know, you hear the comparisons to him being like a young rock, and, and I can certainly see where he's been influenced by the rock on the mic. I think he definitely has a lot of potential, and uh, I know he had an injury problem there for a while uh, that slowed him down, but hopefully there's better things on the horizon for him. Hopefully this extra hour on Rampage, they're able to use that to their benefit. The women do need more focus. Britt Baker's been phenomenal there, but other than her, it's just not really been great. I mean, Chris Statlander has a lot of talent and is starting to get a little push here. 
I know Thunder Rosa, I think she'll do great. Of course, the match with her and Britt, the Lights Out match, was great. Never seen something like that in the world of women's wrestling. So that was fun to watch as well. But eventually, maybe we get that Sammy Guevara-Chris Jericho feud. I don't know who will be the heel and who will be the face. Maybe Jericho will go back to the heel side for that. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's so beloved at this point uh, that, that who knows. That's like the mark of like a great pro wrestler race superstar. They can transition between face and heel and they're beloved either way. It's like kind of like how Seth Rollins is to a degree. I mean, you you like his work as a face, but when he's a heel, he's just on another level. Yeah, for sure. He definitely uh, tends to shine that way. We'll talk more about Seth later. I, I do want to uh, talk about these rumors that have been going on that it seems like we could have CM Punk coming possibly this Friday in the Chicago Rampage. AEW is advertising it as their biggest show yet. So uh, what would it mean to you to see uh, CM Punk come back to pro wrestling? Honestly, I think it'd be a very it'd be a very welcome sight because I feel like it's been teased for so long that, you know, could CM Punk come back? I mean, you saw how much of a pop he got when he came back to one of the shows on FS1 for WWE and how how big that went. I mean, him coming out at Rampage in Chicago seems fitting whether it happens you know, remains to be seen, but, but you know, as well as I do, Chicago is such a big wrestling town and always seems to deliver. Yeah, I'm super excited. I hope he does come back. Uh, I've been clamoring that for a long time, as a lot of us have. Uh, another guy who's been rumored to uh, come in is uh, Brian Danielson, or Daniel Bryan as he was in WWE. What would it mean to see him make that jump to AEW? It would definitely be a, definitely be a big surprise to see, as many people know him as the American Dragon. I mean, he's he's had that moniker since his days in Ring of Honor, and a lot of people didn't really know much about him when he first came to NXT outside of the independent wrestling circuit. But for him to come back to AEW would be a big surprise because you think about all the connections that he had in WWE, from going from being a superstar to a general manager back to being a superstar. Nikki Bell, you know, with his uh, his wife, with Bree, and the, all, the, all the stuff that they do for WWE, it would be definitely be a very surprising. But you and I have seen over the last two years, a lot of WWE superstars transition from one brand to the other. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I know you mentioned the name Miro earlier. I love what they've done with him, building him up undefeated TNT champion. He's been used like uh, he should have been all along in WWE, I really feel like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always felt like he was so like he was so over the WWE universe when that whole Rusev day came out. But then when they threw him into the love triangle with Lashley and Lana, it, I th- I feel like it kind of lost some wind out of the sails. Yeah, that was a uh, very difficult program to watch. Don't like that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, nice to see him, and he's found greener pastures. We've seen um, formerly Aleister Black, Malachi Black now come in and completely uh, kind of dismantle Cody. I think to write him off for a little while. To I think he's going to go film the Go Big Show Season 2. But uh, what did you think of his debut match against Cody? It was very surprising. It was, it was, a, very, it was a squash match. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, you know, I was expecting a, re- a good long 15 minute match, but you wonder with Cody Rhodes with, you know, how he's been in w- in AEW, I mean, is he going to put the guy over or would he beat him? Like, you know, I mean, Brody Lee straight up dominated him when he won the TNT championship, but then you, but then you wonder you got Darby Allen, he beat a couple of times, but then Darby finally beat him. I was fully expecting Cody to win that match again against Malachi, but when Malachi beat him and then beat him in the fashion he did that quickly, kind of shocked me. Yeah, 
And I know a couple weeks ago you actually had one of the mailbag questions about who I thought would beat Kenny Omega for the Impact title and the AEW title. I still picked Hangman to beat him for AEW. We'll see about that. But uh, I did not have Christian Cage beating him for the Impact title. I actually had uh, Josh Alexander, who's the current X Division champion. I thought maybe they would bring back option C, and he would invoke that. I do think he will do that eventually, but I think he's been doing a great job as their secondary champion. I do watch Impact regularly. I don't have the channel, uh, but I find a <laughs> I find a stream online uh, that I usually check it out at. It's not the greatest quality, but uh, I've been following them since uh, all the way back on their Fox Sports days and seeing guys like AJ Styles and Samoa Joe really come into their own in the professional wrestling business. And then guys make jumps like Kurt Angle and like Christian Cage, who it's funny to see that come full circle now as he's actually for the first time, it was the NWA uh, heavyweight championship back when he won it. So it was the first time under the TNA slash impact banner that he's actually become the world champion. What did you think of him defeating Kenny Omega for that title? That one, I was very happy with with how that one went on. I'm, like, I was watching it Friday night. There's there's very few times in pro wrestling that I get invested in a match where I get excited about. I stand up and cheer when they win the match. That was one of those because it was just, like you mentioned earlier, you know, beating Kenny Omega. I mean, so many guys had tried to do it. I mean, Rich Swan, and you had Sammy Callahan, who I thought was going to have a great chance of doing it. And honestly, I thought one of the guys who probably could have him possibly should have knocked off Omega for the Impact Championship was Moose. I mean, the guy who's been an absolute powerhouse over the last two years. But yeah, seeing Christian Cage win the Impact World Championship after winning his last one easily over a decade ago was certainly a great feeling to see that. And it's certainly nice to see him kind of go back to his roots in Impact with his uh, entrance theme, which has always been one of my favorites. I mean, I remember the matches between him and AJ Styles back in the late 2000s definitely got me into TNA at the time. Oh, absolutely. I agree about Moose. I thought he should have been uh, the one to take the title, but I I can't uh, argue with you. I I really love seeing Christian Cage get that opportunity. I like the partnership. I think some things could have been done better, for sure, to give a little more shine to Impact, but maybe this is it. I mean, it was nice to see the Impact title and see Scott Demore there on commentary and and giving them a little bit of shine there, because I think it's been more in AEW's favor than Impact's uh, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, it really had been, you know, because, I mean, you know, you had the segments where Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone would come on Impact for about a couple minutes and promote their show, which I'm kind of like, you know, you have Impact Wrestling, which has been say what you want about it. I mean, it's been I mean, the fact that it's been around for almost 20 years now and is still alive is rare in pro wrestling. But, you know, they look at you look at how many guys have come out of there that have gone on to really good careers. I mean, you know, AJ Styles, James Storm, Robert Roode. And then, you, like you said, you know, Christian Cage is definitely one of them guys who have kind of reinvented themselves there. And then you got, you know, Josh Alexander, who's kind of doing his thing. And of course, one guy that I failed to mention when you mentioned, you know, have been underutilized. One of them, I think, is Ethan Page. I mean, I remember watching him as part of the North and that tag team eventually dropping the Tyler Motor City Machine Guns. Then, you know, he comes out with his gimmick as Ethan Page, and then he comes out as the Karate Man. I was like, you got this guy now in AEW. You need got to do something with him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I know he hasn't been seen since losing that uh, coffin match to Darby Allen. So uh, we'll see what's next for him. I think he's improved a lot. He's gotten in better shape and pretty solid in-ring guy. I know teaming with Josh Alexander in the North there in Impact for a while. They did a great job with the tag division there. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. 
one thing I thought about with with the women's division, you know, Deanna Perrazzo has been built up huge in impact. Uh, I would love to see a a crossover there because AEW could use the the help with their women. Deanna Perrazzo and a Dr. Britt Baker showdown would be something to watch. Oh yeah, definitely. You think about it, you got the doctor versus the virtuosa. I mean, it just it kind of writes itself. I mean, Deanna Perrazzo has come a long way since her time in NXT and then, you know, comes in Impact Wrestling and makes an immediate impact. And I feel like there's a lot of options if you could cross over those two. I mean, AEW's done that a lot with NWA. I mean, Thunder Rosa coming in. I mean, of course, obviously a lot of people, a dream match almost, if you could cross over NWA and AEW would be Kenny Omega and Nick Aldis. I mean, those two have held their titles. I mean, Nick really, I mean, NWA is another one that's kind of like impact wrestling. I mean, it, it has its niche, but also if you can get some guys in there to get some more get big appeal, who knows what'll happen. While we're talking about TNA or impact, I've got to mention uh, one of my favorite wrestlers ever in that company, EC3, who became such a huge star there. I thought uh, when he went back to WWE, uh, I thought he was perfect for the main roster and was had what they everything they would look for in, in a main eventer. What do you think uh, went wrong there? I really, I think it's like a, what's happened with a lot of guys in WWE, just bad booking. I mean, I mean, I remember the main one coming in was you had it was EC EC three and Dean Ambrose, you know, now known as John Moxley. If you could have gotten a feud going between those two, imagine how those those debates in the ring with those promos would go. I mean, both great talkers, but EC3, I just, there was so many so much potential with EC3, and I felt like WWE just didn't utilize him the way they could have. Yeah, they brought him up, and uh, it's almost like they turned him into a mute. They wouldn't let him talk or anything, and that was really what helped him to get over uh, in TNA or Impact. So uh, it was disappointing to see, for sure. I'm glad he's gone and found himself another place to go but i hate that he couldn't do it on that big stage of wwe uh didn't get the chance to uh you know we've seen a lot of nxt wrestlers be released here recent recently and we've seen carry on cross come on raw and lose a couple matches right away which i question that booking for sure i question not bringing scarlet up with him if you're going to have him on raw uh, I think it does kind of hurt the Samoa Joe program, which great to see Samoa Joe back in the ring and uh, doing his thing. I, I love him. I think we're talking about underutilized people. He was so underutilized on the main roster. Definitely. I mean, Samoa Joe had always been one of my favorites, regardless of what promotion he had been in. I mean, he comes into NXT, you know, has some great matches with Finn Balor, you know, eventually goes to the main roster and Triple H, you know, he was kind of Triple H's hired muscle with him and Seth Rollins. And and then, of course, you know, Joe had so many title opportunities and, and then just could never pull the trigger, putting the big title on him. I mean, you had him and Brock Lesnar, you had him and AJ Styles, which was a great, great feud. And I, I was waiting there the whole time, waiting for them to put the title on Joe and it never happened. And I just, I felt like they could have done more with him. Like he could have been, he could have been that next, that next big piece that they needed. Cause at the, cause at the time with WWE, I mean, you've got so many great superstars, but you don't have that great, that great superstar that can push you, make you better. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Samoa Joe's got it all. He's a very intimidating guy on the microphone. He, he speaks very well. You know, he made that Brock Lesnar program what it was, made you think he had a chance to beat Brock Lesnar. Kevin Owens, in the same way, I think, is just incredible on the mic. I think he's underutilized at times. I think he is another solid in-ring performer who uh, they could really do so much more with. I think Kevin Owens has it all as well. 
Oh yeah, Kevin Owens has always been when when he first came to first came to WWE and NXT. I wasn't I wasn't a fan of him just because you know he was a heel. I mean, he had gone after one of my favorites since Sami Zayn, who I'd been a huge fan of. And of course, you know, he comes up and you know challenges John Cena and makes an impact. And you know, he had that Universal Title run, but it just feels like really since he stopped teaming with Chris Jericho, he's been struggling to find find his place in WWE. And honestly, I mean, he's been he's been a face. He's good as a face. But as a heel, I mean, it's like those guys, you know, he just, there's so many more options for him as a heel. And another guy that I feel is kind of in that same boat is Cesaro. I mean, he's been with the company, the only person I think has been in the company longer with, longer than him is probably The Miz. And Cesaro just, you know, came and made a big impact and then kind of, kind of floundered for a little while, but then he found tag team success. But I'd love to see him see individual success again. Yeah, at one point, you know, he was really over with the crowd. He won the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. They had the Cesaro sections out and uh, thought, you know, he, he really got over again here recently, but uh, it's kind of faded into the background and they're not doing anything with him. Obviously, he's not great on the mic, but he's phenomenal in the ring. His feats of strength and the swing are incredible to watch. And who says you can't? I mean, he's had a manager before. He was with uh, Zeb Culture back in the day. Uh, so, uh, I mean, give that guy a manager and let him do something in the singles division. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always I always thought a guy like Paul Heyman would have been perfect for Cesaro. I mean, he could have done for Cesaro what, you know, Heyman did for CM Punk. I mean, when CM Punk and Paul Heyman teamed up during, you know, near the end of Punk's run in WWE, it, just so many great things came out of that. Yeah, and the funny thing about that is obviously CM Punk doesn't need anybody to talk for him, but uh, that was still such a great pairing together, and it just worked well. And I want to shift gears now while we're talking about Paul Heyman to SummerSlam. Uh, have you had a chance to uh, to watch SmackDown from the other night? Uh, from Friday night, uh, I haven't. I've seen you know a few little clips here and there. I saw the the only thing I've seen was the verbal jab between John Cena and Roman Reigns, which you know anytime anytime that. As much as I love, you know, everyone wants to see action in the ring, but when it comes to sports entertainment, if you can get that memorable or really good, you know, promo in there, I mean, it speaks volumes about what you can do. Yeah, uh, we had the jabs there. Uh, I did want to talk about that. Obviously, Roman invoking the name of Nikki Bella. Uh, that really got a uh, that got a response from me. And anytime you can get a response in a promo, you've done your job. And then Cena coming back and mentioning Dean Ambrose and, and making a CM Punk reference of blowing a kiss to Roman on the way out was, was hilarious. Not everybody could probably get away with those, but it's John Cena. So what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, John Cena, John Cena's, you know, kind of becoming kind of like The Rock. You know, he leaves for a little while. He comes back. But when he comes back, he starts things up. I mean, and that's kind of what a good part-timer does is he comes back and, you know, this feud between him and Roman Reigns, you've seen it. You've seen a little bit before in bits and pieces early on in Roman's career and late in John Cena's. But now I feel like with, yeah, Paul Heyman's mix, it's just, it changes it completely. I mean, it makes it, it makes it most more must-see. Yeah, and uh, I've loved the Paul Heyman pairing with uh, Roman Reigns. Now, uh, he doesn't need Paul to talk for him as much as Brock Lesnar obviously did, but I've enjoyed that. Uh, Paul talking some, but then Roman, he's just knocked it out of the park with this whole heel character for the last year. Oh, yeah. When first him coming back, I mean, obviously at last year's SummerSlam was much needed because, you know, you're coming out, you're in the pandemic, you're just opening up the Thunderdome. And then he comes back and just makes his impact. You know, you got him team up with his cousins again. And just, you know, some of the, you know, feuds he's had, you know, the feud with Daniel Bryan was, 
you know, solid. The feud with Cesaro was was good. And then you have, and then of course you had the one with Edge, which I had a feeling when Edge and Roman Reigns, and then of course, you know, you throw in the, the Seth Rollins, you wonder what's going to happen there. Do you, could we possibly see a Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns feud again? I mean, that I wouldn't be against that. No, not at all. That would definitely be something worth watching with the history with those two for sure. You know, we're going to talk about SummerSlam here. That's the big match, really. Roman Reigns and John Cena for the Universal Championship. Obviously, Cena is going for his record 17th world title. I don't personally think that's going to happen just yet because I, I still think the title should stay on Roman until at least uh, WrestleMania. And there's been all the rumors of The Rock coming back. That's what they want to do is have The Rock versus Roman at WrestleMania. I don't want to see The Rock win the title either, even though he's my favorite. Love him. Uh, obviously, I think he would be coming back to help put Roman over even more. But I just, I really enjoy a good long title reign, but I enjoy one like they've done with Roman, where I feel like they've booked him so well. Oh, yeah. I mean, long title reigns are so rare because you think back to the old days when people held the title for, you know, that could hold it for a thousand days or longer. I just don't think pro wrestling fans now have that kind of patience. You I mean, if anybody has a title more than, you know, say a couple of months, they're kind of like, okay, when's it going to be taken off him? But you look back at some of the year long title range. You I mean, John Cena had a couple of title reigns that were over a year. CM Punk had when it was over 400 days, but you don't see that very often anymore. T- someone holding a title for, you know, a year. I mean, it doesn't, this doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, but uh, it's an incredible job here with Roman and the head of the table stuff. Now, I did want to mention this pay-per-view is going to be on Saturday instead of Sunday, as as they would usually do in WWE. Uh, what are your thoughts on Saturday pay-per-views? It's a, it, I kind of like them, but at the same time, I kind of don't. I mean, when you think, when you think pay-per-views for WWE, you think Sunday. That was always the big night. Occasionally, they've done some Saturday ones, like two night events for WrestleMania the last two years. And sometimes Saturday, it can be tricky if it's done right. I mean, luckily, the good news is that they're doing a Saturday pay-per-view in August as opposed to a month later when you're right in the middle of college football season. But the nice thing that they're doing now is you're going to have you got your SummerSlam Saturday and you got TakeOver on Sunday. So, I mean, you're going to have two just big nights of wrestling in WWE. For sure. So we talk a little bit about Roman and Cena, which is uh, very much look forward to main event at the show. A couple of the other matches really interest me, and uh, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but uh, the Edge-Seth Rollins feud, uh, I know there's been the uh, Edge calling Seth Edge Light. There was a great little video package that Seth Rollins and they put together on him this past week for SmackDown. But I really enjoyed it because you see the parallels between the two. They're both opportunist. They both excel really in the heel role. Now, obviously, Edge is a legend. He's going to get cheered as a face, and he does a great job with that as well. But they've always been guys who uh, really excel more in that heel role, it seems. What have you thought of uh, of their feud? And, and, you know, this could potentially be the best match. I've loved this feud. I mean, this was when Edge first came back, I was hoping it- he and Seth would go at it because you think back about almost seven years ago you know Seth Rollins trying to injure Edge when Edge was going through his injuries and was stepping aside and then you know Edge comes out and screws Seth Rollins at the Royal Rumble and, it, and the wheels started turning and then you know when Edge lost to Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins came out I said this is gonna happen and I said and having it at SummerSlam it's like you said it has the potential to steal the show and I feel like you got two guys that are very similar, you know, both opportunists, both good as faces, but do their best work as heels. And you look back, there's another parallel that I think is really cool. And that's 
the whole money in the bank concept. Edge was the first one to win the money in the bank and the way he cashed it in really set the standard for everyone else. And then Seth Rollins comes in years later and cashed it in at WrestleMania in the main event and just completely steals the show. And that's, that's what both these guys do. They steal the show and Edge is so great at dealing with, you know, wrestlers, especially when feuds. I mean, I still think back to his Edge's feud and John Cena years ago. I mean, it's still memorable. Oh yeah, absolutely. So while we're talking about the SmackDown side, the other big match is the uh, Women's Championship. Uh, Bianca Belair defending against Sasha Banks. The rematch from WrestleMania when those two ladies got to main event the Saturday night, which was a great moment to see. But uh, Sasha came back, turned on Bianca again, kind of reestablished herself as that heel boss character. Your thoughts on uh, those two together? Those two have been, you know, been very good. I mean, when Bianca Belair came into WWE, I mean, she, funny enough, came in as a heel and reminded me a lot of Sasha Banks when she was at NXT. And it was a shame that she never got the NXT championship because at the time that was a dominant run by Shayna Baszler. And when I heard that, you know, she was challenging Sasha Banks for the women's championship at WrestleMania, I said, this one's, this is going to steal the show that night. And it, and it delivered. And it basically, the two basically contrast each other. I mean, they're both big superstars. They're both athletic and they have so many different ways to beat you. And I feel like this is definitely going to be the big women's match of the night. Cause you, you wonder which one's going to come into play Sasha Banks's bank statement or Bianca's KOD. And does Bianca use her hair again? That was, uh, I'm sure, pretty painful at WrestleMania, hitting uh, Sasha with that, leaving a pretty big welt. Also on SmackDown, uh, just briefly uh, touch on, you know, there's the Tag Team Championship match, the Usos uh, defending against Ray and his son Dominic. Uh, the big thing I want to talk about here is uh, your thoughts on uh, Dominic so far. I think he's, you know, obviously still learning in the ring, but uh, I think overall, his age and everything, he's done a pretty decent job so far. And the kids had an absolute trial by fire. I mean, you know, you come in and your first when well, your first big feud is with Seth Rollins, then you know you're in the match with Rey Mysterio with his dad when he's taking on Brock Lesnar. I mean, they've really they've they've pushed him quickly. And then you know putting the tag titles on between father and son was definitely a nice touch. And you know you got him going against the Usos, who's been one of the top tag teams in WWE over the last decade. I mean, the kids the kids earning his stripes. He's earning them quickly. Moving over to the Raw side, we've got a U.S. Championship match. We've got Sheamus defending against Damian Priest, uh, who they seem to be pretty high on. Sheamus uh, is a guy who I think has been underutilized at times. I really enjoyed uh, some of the work he did with uh, Jeff Hardy. I believe they fought in a bar uh, at one point and at a bar fight. I really like that. I'm a big fan of Sheamus, uh, and I like what Priest has been able to do. He obviously got, you know, Bad Bunny chose for him to be his partner at WrestleMania uh, when he could have chosen anybody and they would have let him. Uh, so uh, I think that speaks volumes uh, to that. But your, your thoughts on uh, those two? Those two are definitely, definitely compare each other. They're, like, like you said, they're big, they're intimidating, they're physical. I mean, Damian Priest, you know, he's coming, you know, at first he came in, you know, had him a few with the Miz. That was a good, you know, worked out well for both of them. But then all of a sudden, you know, you got Damian Priest and you got Sheamus. And this one might not be match tonight, but I got a feeling it's probably the most physical match of the night. Yeah, I would say so. Uh Another match that has the potential to get physical is definitely uh, Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal. Uh, now we're, we're getting a little 3MB former members feud going here. Drew, uh, I've enjoyed him going back to a little bit to the violent side. A lot of the chair shots there to Jinder's uh, Veer and Shanky, his two guys he's got with him now. Uh, your thoughts on uh, on these guys hooking up? 
This one definitely intrigues me because, you know, you got two, anytime that you have two former friends or former tag partners or former stable mates going at it, there's always that extra level of, you know, it's personal. I mean, you look at both of those guys. I mean, both of them, their careers have kind of mirrored each other. You know, Jinder Mahal came in as kind of like a bosser for the great Kali. And then kind of, he went on to win the WWE title and had a, he had a good run, but it wasn't, it's one that fans kind of wish they could forget about just because at the time he wasn't as over as he could have been. And then of course, you know, eventually he leaves, you know, comes back injured, you know, comes back and he was back into this feud with Drew. And Drew's kind of the same thing, you know, Early on in his career, wasn't wasn't the most over, even though he was considered Vince McMahon's chosen one. Then you know he gets fired and finds it finds his way in other promotions, and then comes back has a memorable has a great title run. The only thing that hurt his title run was that it wasn't in front of fans. I would have loved to have heard the pop if he had won the title at WrestleMania in front of live crowds because you remember the, what it was like when he won the Royal Rumble. So these two going at it, you kind of open up some old wounds, and I'm surprised they haven't mentioned anything about Heath in either of them. Yeah, it's a shame that Drew didn't get that moment to uh, to win the title in front of fans. He did have a nice moment where he's kind of looking into the camera there at WrestleMania, but I've been a fan of his for a long time. Going back to his first WWE run, seeing the growth he's had and throughout TNA Impact and all that. So uh, yeah, this, should, this could be a very physical match as well. You mentioned uh, slightly earlier, I know there's the triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship. We've got Nikki A.S.H. defending against Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. I hope this is not just to get Charlotte another title reign. The last one was a day, which I'm happy Nikki won the title. Uh, I would like to see her, you know, she's being booked as if all these are just flukes that she's winning these matches, which I'm happy she's winning, but uh, maybe give her a more definitive win. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like she needs this one more than any of the, than the other two. I mean, Rhea Ripley's already kind of established herself as the future of WWE women's wrestling with her, with how quickly she's been shot up. Cause I mean, she went from NXT UK champion, NXT women's champion, and then, you know, wins the title and then wins the women's title. And she did all that basically within about a year and a half since she came into the company. And then you look at Charlotte, you know, you know her pedigree. I mean, but yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, she's already had so many title runs that it's like, okay, now what now what do we do? But Nikki, I feel like needs this match because her her evolution's been very interesting to watch. Cause you think about a year ago, she was, you know, women's tag team chance with Alexa Bliss. But then, you know, the whole thing with Alexa changed with her transformation. Nikki kind of got lost in the shuffle. And then they changed her gimmick, bring her back as, you know, almost a superhero. But now, you know, when she won the t- she won the money to make briefcase and then cashes in, wins the title. I feel like it's like they want to do something with her, but what? What are your thoughts on uh, this whole Alexa Bliss uh, storyline? Oh, the one that Lex is in, it's been it's been very interesting. I like, I mean, her evolution's been so different, but I feel like it's gone in so many different directions that you don't. It's kind of hard to keep up with at times. I mean, you had her feuding with Shayna Baszler. I would have loved to have seen like a, you know, a big match between those two, because that would have been a lot of fun to watch. And then, you know, her with Eva Marie, it's kind of, it's a little childish at times, but I'll be curious to see what they do with it. Yeah, there are parts of that that I really enjoy with her. I think she does a great job with anything. She's one of the best, if not the best female they've got on the mic in WWE. And I really enjoyed her uh, goddess character for sure. But uh, I've enjoyed this and I think she's knocked it out of the park uh, and has really uh, given her all to this character. That's going to bring us to the main event on the Raw side, which is for the WWE Championship. 
I've loved Bobby Lashley being the champion there and the run he's had and, and being there with MVP beside him has been great. But not a big fan of Goldberg coming back to fight him as much as a, a fan of I was of Goldberg growing up. Just uh, not a huge fan of him coming back and just going for another world title. I enjoyed what they did where he came back and squashed Dolph Ziggler. I thought that was fun uh, at that time. I enjoyed when he first came back and uh, beat Brock Lesnar. I thought they did a great job with uh, him running through him and, and some of that feud. But since then, I just uh, I would like to see more of the things along the lines of, you know, why not have Goldberg come back and take care of Baron Corbin in that storyline? And you know, you know, I mean, whatever. But I know Lashley and Lesnar was kind of the dream match for many years that we're not getting because I, I don't know what's up with Lesnar. Who knows? But what do you think of this match? When it first was mentioned, I was like, I wasn't the craziest about it. I mean, and it's gained a little bit of steam, but I just feel like, you know, when you bring back a guy who's been in pro wrestling for so long that maybe doesn't have what he used to have, and you go against a guy like Bobby Lashley, who, I mean, he's been in, in pro wrestling over 15 years now in at the highest level, and he's delivered everywhere he's been. It's just, you want to see, you'd like to see a newer match. Like, see Lashley with someone you haven't seen before. I mean, the match with Kofi, I kind of wish had gone a little differently when they wrestled, because I would have loved to have seen those two go at it instead of Lashley to strip squashing him. I feel like Lashley Lashley needs a good feud, a good consistent feud, and I just don't think Goldberg's the one to do it because I mean, what happens after what happens after SummerSlam? Yeah, that's the question. And uh, another question is the over under on how many spears are hit in this match. My guess is, hmm, I'd say at least eight. Now, who has those eight? That remains to be seen. I feel like it might be four four. I can see. I got a feeling it's probably going to be five three Lashley. Yeah, eight was kind of the number I had in my head as well, but that's SummerSlam so far. I do think we will have a Raw Tag Team title match added where uh, Randy Orton and uh, Riddle will challenge AJ Styles and Omos. I believe that's the way they're going with this. Uh, now, by the time this show comes out Wednesday, that probably will have been announced on Raw, maybe. But I want to talk about this Riddle and Randy Orton, these two together. How, how have you enjoyed that? Oh, I've definitely enjoyed it. It's been, it's been something different been something different you wouldn't I mean you and I both know Randy Orton he doesn't always play well with others most of the time he, he has a tendency to occasionally turn on his opponent which last question mark is you know he puts an RKO on him and wonders okay is this is him turning or is this him showing some tough love I mean I do like the pairing I feel like they're just polar opposites but it just they make it work I mean you got Orton who's this cold calculating viper almost of sorts and you got Riddle who's just a fun-loving party guy who just likes to have fun and occasionally kick your head off. Yeah, and I love how Riddle will stand behind him and do the pose and will sing his theme music and, and all this, and Orton just no reaction. Just just hilarious. I don't know how you can keep a straight face around Riddle. I know, right? Because he's just he's so, he's always so fun loving. I mean, he does, and of course, you know, his whole laid back, you know, bro routine. It's kind of like an homage to RVD of sorts, because RVD was always kind of this chill, laid back, but also wasn't afraid to kick your head off as well. For sure. Well, that's going to bring us to the uh, Ranky Panky uh, for the day. Which is, uh, we're going to rank our top five finishing moves in WWE right now. Before I get to my top five, uh, I have a few honorable mentions that I left off. I've actually got four that I just want to mention real quickly. Uh, The first one is uh, AJ Styles and the Styles Clash. Love the name, first of all, with the play on his last name. 
been a fan of AJ for many years. Now, WWE has, hasn't used the Styles Clash as much as he did before. Uh, he's used that top row forearm, the phenomenal forearm. He's used the calf crusher. So I like that he's got those other moves, uh, but I've always liked the Styles Clash. Finn Balor and a coup de grace. I've always enjoyed that. The top rope double foot stomp just looks like it would uh, hurt. Another high-flying move is Montez Ford's From the Heavens Frog Splash. I like that just because of the height he gets on it. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. I love what he does. Man, uh, him and Bianca, if they have children, those uh, kids have got some great athletic genes. And then uh, Kevin Owens and the pop-up powerbomb. I know he's used the stunner more recently, but I just always kind of liked his pop-up powerbomb. So those were my honorable mentions. Do you have any you want to mention? Yeah, I've got a couple of them, actually. The first one, a couple of two that you had mentioned, you know, Ballers, Coup de Gras, and Montez Ford's from the Heavens. I mean, both of them, I've always been a big fan of high-flying moves at the top rope ever since that first time I saw Eddie Guerrero's Frog Splash. And I feel like Montez Ford's taking that and just enhance it. And you get, you get so much air and it's just, and like I said, you see it like when there's a live crowd, you see all those cameras popping, the lights flashing. It's like, that's when you want to get your big highlight reel outside of that one in Bauer. I've got three others. The first one being the Miz's skull crushing finale. I remember when he first brought that in, it really, it really enhanced the Miz. It took him to another level. And I just love the way that he uses it. Like he'll use another object to this adding the impact to it like when he he would push occasionally put Daniel Bryan in that when he would use the money in a big briefcase which I always thought was fun Sheamus's brogue kick has always been one that I've always been intrigued by but didn't feel like it was a top five worthy one even though you get all that torque in this you know he'll kick your head off and I think it fits Sheamus perfectly and then the last one I put in was uh Seth Rollins is the stomp I mean obviously he didn't he didn't use it for a few years because of some some reasons behind it but when he uses that you just know your head's gonna hurt the next morning yeah and uh Seamus's bro kick is actually one that I forgot to write down I think uh I had it in mind as an honorable mention as well I've always enjoyed that move you mentioned Eddie Guerrero and uh, my number five is uh was a huge fan of Eddie Guerrero growing up actually the story is that she went to Smackdown as a kid the day that they had after he had died and they had the show for him so I'm sure that was a a difficult show for her uh, as a child uh you know your hero has passed away and of course Eddie one of the greatest of all time for sure all around but I've got Sasha Banks in the bank statement at number five uh it's a version of the cross face uh, sometimes she goes into it with the backstabber. Just the different ways she can lock that move on. It's a great name, of course, with her character. And uh, I just love a good uh, submission finish. So I've got Sasha at number five. Well, for my number five, I went with uh, something similar to Sheamus's Brogue kick. I went with the Claymore kick with Drew McIntyre. Because when Joe Mac- Drew McIntyre first came into WWE, you know, he had the future shock DDT, but I feel like everyone does a DDT. But when you, you know, when he brought up the Claymore kick, I think it took his game to another level. And then he throws in that three, two, one. It's like, you're telling your opponent game over buddy. And just ready to just kick your head off. And I love seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. Number four for me, we're going to go to a high flying move. Uh, Ricochet six thirty. Uh, his double rotation moonsault. He does. Ricochet is a guy who is uh, very underutilized in WWE while we're talking about people like that. He's very uh, fluid, and I just love the way he flies around, and that that 630 is uh, something to watch every time. 
And for my number four, I went with I went with one that a, a number of different superstars use, and that's the Coquina Clutch, because I just feel like it's so lethal and it fits, you know, guys like Samoa Joe, Carrie and Cross, who has a version of it with a straight jacket, Shayna Baszler. I mean, it's like you're wanting to send a message to your opponent that, you know, you're about to go, it's night night time and just they put the pressure on it and it can be used. It can be used standing up. It can be used on the grounds. I mean, I feel like there's so many different variations of it, but there's also so many different ways that you can apply it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great submission finisher. Uh, number three, you mentioned this, the Claymore kick. Drew McIntyre, just a running kick to the face. Uh, enjoyed when he came out and during his whole feud with Brock Lesnar, he came out and did it three times to him, I think, one night. And, of course, kicked him out of the Royal Rumble. Uh, so uh, I've got Drew McIntyre's Claymore at number three. Definitely a good one to have, and I've always and always liked that one. I went with one of your honorable mentions for my number three, and that was AJ Styles' Styles Clash. It was one of the first ones that I remember his first finisher using. And of course, you know he's got he's got other things now that he uses, and I think that's what makes the Styles Clash so memorable now is that you don't know when he's going to use it, but he uses he basically puts you upside down, almost like in a pile driver sorts, and you know he just puts all your pressure down on the ground, so you're just completely knocked out, and it's such a sight to see now. Absolutely. Number two, we talked about this guy a little bit earlier. Uh, for all the uh, booking issues I've had uh, with some of the things they've done with him, his finisher is incredible. Uh, I'm going with Baron Corbin's End of Days. It's a reverse STO variation on that move. But if you think back, it's really one of the most protected finishers because I don't know if anybody's kicked out of it. If they have, it's it's one of the most it's one of the moves that's been used that you know when he hits that move, uh, it really is the end of days. It's the end of the match. Oh, yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that one in NXT. In, in, in NXT, he had a lot of like quick matches, so you knew it was going to come early. And then, of course, you know, his music music comes, and it was just always such, always fun to see. For my number two, I went with one of yours, uh, Sasha Banks's bank statement, just for, you know, the way they the way she uses it, using the backstab, but then, you know, carrying into it. And she uses it so well that she uses it, and she's not afraid to use it, you know, in the ring. She's used it to make someone tap out outside the ring. I remember a match, I think it was in Charlotte a number of years ago, where she and Charlotte Flair went out for the for the uh, women's championship, and she basically wrapped Charlotte Flair around one of the um, one of the um, ring ropes that they use when walking down. And she just and I just looked at, I was like, man, that's gotta hurt, and it just looks so painful. Oh yeah, that's a great uh, moment. I certainly remember that match. Number one, the RKO by Randy Orton, the jumping cutter, named after obviously him being Randall Keith Orton. But my goodness, uh, it's kind of like the uh, the diamond cutter for DDP back in the day where he hits it and the fans just go crazy. And pretty much the same move, just a variation on it. But uh, seeing him, especially years ago, the one he did on Evan Bourne off the top rope, now Matt Seidel, the one he did on uh, Rollins at WrestleMania, just the different huge moves. And it's always nice to see a guy flying off the ropes and he hits him with an RKO. Or uh, there was a match he did many years ago where him and Cena teamed up against the whole rest of the Raw roster. And, and Cena was like attitude adjusting him off and he would catch him in an RKO and he just RKO'd a bunch of guys in a row. And just always a fun move. You read my mind because that was also my uh, my number one was the RKO. And I remember the first time, the first one that I really remember was the one that he put on Hulk Hogan back before SummerSlam in 2006. Because he basically RKOs him right off the car hood. And it's definitely one, it's one of those ones that very few people kick out of. And as, as I hear Michael Colson many times, just out of nowhere, I mean, you've seen it. You, know, you hit it on Matt, Evan Bourne slash Matt Seidel. 
He's hit on the one on Seth Rollins. I want to say he had a variation of one on Christian years ago, back during their feud, that certainly stood out to me. Oh, it was on the uh, Steel Steps is what it was. Yeah, that was a great feud for sure. They, I think they did a WWE documentary on that. It was really great. Oh, yeah. And then just, you know, with, with Orton, he just, he, he used that food. And this is the way he goes into it now. Like, he just sits there and was like coiled up like like a snake, just ready to this pounce. And you wonder, you know, he has so many different variations of it. I'm waiting to see what, what else he can do with it. I mean, if he ever tries to modify it in some way. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see for sure. Um, I'm going to go back through my top five again real quick. At five, I had Sasha Banks with the bank statement. At four, Ricochet with the 630. Three was the Claymore from Drew McIntyre. End of days for Baron Corbin was number two. And then at number one, I had the RKO from Randy Orton. Uh, your top five again real quick. My number five was Drew McIntyre's Claymore kick. At number four, the Coquina Clutch used by various superstars, including Samoa Joe, Shayna Baszler, and Karrion Cross. Had AJ Styles' Styles Clash at number three. Number two, Sasha Banks' bank statement. And my number one, the RKO from Randy Orton. Yeah, as our lists were going, I figured we were both going to have the RKO at number one once we got there. Uh, I don't know how you could go with anything else. It's just a phenomenal move. Now, before I let you go, uh, I did want to move away from professional wrestling. And uh, we uh, I haven't had a chance to watch yet, but I know the final season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, just started this past Thursday. This is a show that uh, I know you've been watching for years, and I uh, binge-watched all the episodes last year and uh, going in maybe early this year. I can't remember when I finished it, but got caught up and have been waiting several months to uh, see a new episode. It was real different uh, not being able to just watch the next episode uh, right away. So uh, they've got 10 episodes, final season. Hate that it's coming to an end. Love the cast. But uh, your thoughts on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine as a show and, and this final season? Well, that was, it was a show that really grew on me because at first I was a little skeptic about it because, you know, how do you incorporate comedy into a crime show, into a cop show? Because, you know, you think when you think crime shows, you think CSI, you think Law and Order, you wouldn't think of comedy, but they've somehow managed to take something and, you know, turn it into a really, really great series, a very, a very good series. And one that, you know, it's a good series when once when one channel cancels you and then like less than a week, another network picks you up. And it's one of my favorites. It's probably not one of the ones I quote the most, but it's always been one that I kind of resonate with because you got, you know, like Captain Holt and his just his mannerisms. And you got Terry Crews, this big hulking guy who doesn't love to say Terry loves yogurt. And then you got, you know, you got Andy Samberg, you know, who you've been a big fan of for many years. And of course, from his SNL days. And then, you know, this was like his first real lead. And it just, it's been, su- it's a, such a great cast. And they've really even gotten on some like current events too, which obviously, you know, sometimes current events and comedy don't always mix. It, it's been a show I've really enjoyed. I, uh, another one I binge watched uh, during the whole pandemic with a lot more time on my hands was uh, The Good Place. Really enjoyed that. My wife actually got into it a couple episodes in. So I had to go back and watch the first couple again with her. Uh, we don't always uh, like the same shows, so it's always nice to find one that we can watch together. So we really enjoyed that one. Of course, The Office and Parks and Recreation, i got to talk about those two. All these shows I've seen every episode of, and uh, and they're all just so beloved. What are some other shows that you currently enjoy? 
Well, current show that I really enjoy, there's not too many really on, you know, on T, like that currently on like airing new episodes that I'm a big fan of outside of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But, you know, like you have always been a big fan of The Office. Parks and Rec, I have watched one time through and I enjoy it. And I'll watch it, you know, once in a while. But Office, I'll watch like when it's on the background. Scrubs has always been one of my favorites. Probably, probably my main favorite is Big Bang Theory because I've watched, you know, all 12 seasons. I'll watch. Like, it doesn't matter if it's on network TV, I'll, wa- I'll just have it watch it on, on the background. And probably the show that I've been watching on Hulu now that I've been kind of binging has been Modern Family. It was one that I always wanted to watch, but felt like I needed to watch from the beginning, but could never find a decent stream that had it all from the beginning until after they, you know, finished their series. And now it's on Hulu and I'm somewhere in season six now. And I've, I've enjoyed it, but it's, you know, it's, it's different. Yeah, I've caught bits and pieces of it and always thought maybe I should get into it or something, but uh, we'll see. Getting a lot busier here with uh, high school football kicking off and other uh, fall sports, as we talked about before we came on. But uh, those are some uh, some great shows, and uh, Zach, it's really been fun to uh, catch up with you and talk some uh, pro wrestling today. Absolutely, Josh. It kind of felt like old times, us sitting in the office at the JP talking pro wrestling while watching clips on YouTube. Yeah, for sure. We'll definitely have to do this again, man. You take care. You do the same, man. And that will do it for episode 47 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. As always, I am Josh McKinney, the sports editor of the Hickory Daily Record in North Carolina. Special thanks again to Zach Colburn, my good friend, my former colleague, for joining me today to talk pro wrestling, for sticking around for Ranky Panky. And hope you enjoyed this show if you're a professional wrestling fan. Hope you stuck around. We had some great content. If you're not, maybe you learned something. Maybe you heard some names that uh, are familiar to you. And uh, maybe you'll check out some pro wrestling. It's not for everybody, but Zach and I are huge fans. And it was a real treat to have him and and catch up. Anyway, that's going to do it. Like I said, for episode 47 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32 or like Four Cores with Josh McKinney on Facebook. Let's continue to grow this thing. Episode 48 will come at you on the first Wednesday in September. And we're looking very much forward to bringing you the next episode of Four Cores with Josh McKinney.